I knew in that moment that it was culturally embedded enough. There are behaviors that lead to, to work-life balance and help protect everybody that, that you don't have everywhere. And that was a differentiator. So that moment helped me really understand that it's not just words, it's not just core values, it's not something you, you take a training on and check a box, but it was institutionalized. And that's one of the things I, I want to be part of, making sure it happens, that we keep that going. And, uh, and then I, I raise the flag if we are, we're ever missing that mark. You are listening to Inside Method, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of a global consultancy. Today, Mindy and I are sitting down with Director of Delivery Management, Josh Landry. Now, Josh threw out a lot of curveballs. As we got to know him, there were a lot of surprises that I wasn't expecting, and we got to laugh a lot, and that's kind of the point of this podcast. If you haven't listened to Inside Method before, the purpose of this is as Method grows and the world is currently in a virtual remote setting, we don't get the face-to-face time that we typically would like with our coworkers. And so we want to try and do our best and do our part to stay connected with the ones that we work with, our work family. And so I think you're really going to get to know Josh on a deeper level here, and I think you're going to enjoy his interview. So without further ado, let's get to know Josh Landry. Josh, for the folks who don't know you, what do you do? So I am a delivery manager, which really means I help build the teams that go build great products for clients. Um, It may be uh, a tech deep dive where we're doing something in a middleware that has to be uh, brought to the cloud. It may be a full UI UX um, uh, design session and research session, uh, but I make sure the team uh, is is calibrated and set up to go uh, do what we've agreed to do, and then I'm caring, feeding, and, and uh, make sure everybody's um, in a good place while that work proceeds. What was your path to method? I have a wacky wacky background. I'm I'm glad to kind of peel back the onion a little bit. Um, so I have. I started computer science and then because of where I ended up school-wise, I ended up with a business degree. So I kind of spent two years doing both. So I have a bit of a hybrid. Interestingly enough, a lot of the roles I end up have ended up in is are, are roles where I'm sitting on the fence between tech and business, trying to translate business requirements and trying to make sure the engineers um, understand what, what they're really trying to build and not just what the spec is and, and kind of working between teams to get consensus and, and build something together. So um, it's been a good number of years, cut my teeth from a program and project perspective at Bank of America, ended up in digital banking in their uh, digital banking customer experience on the mobile app as sort of a hybrid release manager, program manager. Um, while there, I worked on Apple Pay. Um, and the Apple Pay integration, working directly with Apple at least a year before the product came to light. So that was a awesome experience. Um, that was a bridge to actually eventually getting a job at Apple in Cupertino as an engineering program manager. Uh, kind of was, I was releasing iOS versions um, from a, a program perspective. Uh, from Apple, I, I got to spend some time at Cole's department store, uh, their Silicon Valley headquarters, and help rebuild their um, e-commerce platform, kind of their mobile apps. Uh, and got to work with um, GLQA. They were, they were my QA partner at that point. Um, so I had, had fun building something new with new digital experience, moving things to the cloud there. And then ended up at Amazon's um, devices division called Lab 126. Uh, think like Kindle readers, Fire TVs, Echo uh, Dots, that kind of thing. Uh, I worked with a software group that was working on essentially everything that wasn't those products, net new products to the world, blue ocean opportunities, 
Um, some are in the, the market now, some aren't. Um, while working for them, I moved back to Charlotte to take care of my parents and and had a good coffee with a, a, a buddy who was working at, at uh, Method and um, and decided to start the conversation there and, and um, snowballed, was able to join, been here about a year now. I was kind of curious. You said you were working on the Apple Pay stuff before, like well before it was ever launched. Like, did you know yeah. at the time that it was going to turn into to such a big thing? Oh, we had an idea. We knew the direction payments was going. Um, and our group was sort of specifically in the payment space to all different groups, all different partners. Um, and, but we knew, uh, it was, it was fun to be in there so early. We signed so many NDAs and things, you know, we'd never talk about. They have uh, an excellent legal department uh, locked down. Um, so, um, yeah, but we were able to influence some things about how it was structured. Um, that for, quite frankly, they weren't in the financial biz, so they didn't under, they didn't know they couldn't do certain things, that, you know, in in the, the product. So it was fun to be be there at that that point, but also just see how a really fast moving, um, super innovative um, company works, and um, and generally kind of how it's not an ama- it's not the process. It's it's just people driven. Uh, really amazing people who are really passionate about building project products. We also did ended up doing. I worked on uh, the rollout for Samsung Pay and Google Pay uh, okay. as well. And so it was fun to see that the distinct differences between each of those companies' cultures, uh, but still working on a similar product and mm-hmm. how they approached it. And they were very different from communication style and timeline flexibility. Apple is famous for not wanting and not not missing dates. And Google's a lot more flexible, uh, honestly, in, in that. But wanting to have a set of features over over a date in some cases. So just, yeah, interesting how the, the culture comes out in the products in, in a lot of ways. How did that link develop it? Was it, you were a contractor at the time? Like, were you like freelancing? Or how, how did you, or was it that you were going company to company? How did that link between all uh, so the companies? I was a full-time, full-time employee of Bank of America, and our division was working on the next gen technologies for gotcha. each of those products. So we were integrating and then rolling those products out to all of our users. Gotcha. Um, okay. So I remember the first time we had we had we were doing testing live testing of I think it was Samsung Pay, uh, which has a has a part of it that allows it to work with any any MagStripe reader. It creates a magnetic field and it talks to the reader, and you don't have to have a chip in the reader specific for Samsung Pay. And so we walked, our testers are just flipped on at midnight. We have them in at Walgreens and there's 24 hours walking up to the register paying for something. And like the person behind the register freaked out uh, because you just paid for something and you didn't touch it with a card and they didn't see any money. And like, what just happened? Did you just have yeah. <laughs> And uh, it was like, no, part of a test. Don't worry, this is coming soon. But it was yeah, super you know, fun to be on, you know, just boots on the ground on what's a live test of, brand new technology that nobody knows about. What was that? Yeah, I could, I could imagine that that might freak out a cashier. At, For sure, yeah. I've never seen this technology before. So I'm just curious, Josh, what, what was it that drew you, drew you to method? Uh, it sounds like, cause it sounds like you had some pretty, pretty great opportunities prior to this. So what, what was it about method that drew you away and, and, and kind of uh, attracted you? Yeah, so I really wanted to have a, the base of a localized team. Um, I was used to working in very dispersed environments. Uh, ironically, that we're all dispersed now, but I wanted that baseline start of a localized team as, as sort of a home base while working with 
people all over the world. So that that was important. One to have a team where, where it was a team. It wasn't just me doing something as a single you know program manager, delivery manager, uh, but there was a you know peers in, in, in the org. Um, someone that had a, just a really good work life balance, a good culture. That, that knew how to take care of their people and fought for them. It's easy to say that, but I really wanted, and my, my questions with my friend I had, I had lunch with were, were really about, what do they, tell me how I know they take care of their people. Tell me how I know they, they, they get work that is, uh, makes sense to do and, and is valuable to the client. And so uh, those were, I think, one, a lot of my, my big, big pieces and why methods stood out for me. One of your main priorities was how do I know people are taken care of and how do I know that the work they're doing is valuable? How have you seen that play out since you've been here? Like, it sounds right. like you, you probably wouldn't still be here if you didn't think that that was coming to fruition. So right. how, how have you seen that play out in your time? Uh, a great, great uh, example I like to share when sort of someone asked me, uh, it's, uh, I was in my first quarter, first three months working, member of the team kind of pulled me aside, had a one-off meeting uh, on a Monday. And they just let me know that I'd sent some some emails over the weekend to get some things stood up for, for Monday. Not an unusual occurrence for, for lots of companies, lots of people, but this um, coworker took the side and said, hey, I totally understand your motivation, but there's a signal that's sent with that that tells people that's the expectation. Your, your leadership, you're, you're now setting the stage that that's, that's what people need to do. And you could be setting, you know, setting the wrong expectation with the client too. And I knew in that moment that it was culturally embedded enough that, that there are behaviors that lead to, to work-life balance and help protect everybody that, um, that you don't have everywhere. And that was a differentiator. So that moment helped me really understand that it's not just words. It's not just core values. It's not something you, you take a training on to check a box, um, but it was institutionalized. And that's one of the things I, I want to be part of making sure happens that we keep the, the that that going, and uh, and then I, I raise the flag uh, when we're if we are we're ever missing that mark. You know, you've been here about a year, and it sounds like most of this has been super positive, and I'm really glad to hear that. But I'd like to hear, you know, what's been a challenge from going from such a a lot of big companies and kind of transitioning yeah. to a smaller company. What what's been one of the the challenges with kind of transitioning to that? Yeah, I think, um, so you do more, your span of control is greater in a smaller company. So some things that would have dedicated people working on for a particular project uh, or the size of the teams would just be, it's much more SWAT team, uh, Swiss Army knife. We figured out and we, we get it done. And thankfully we've got talented people that, that can do that. But that's knowing that everything's on the table, not just this short list of, of capabilities has been uh, an important thing for me to learn and, and challenge up front that like waiting to hear from a group that was going to do this or that like no it wasn't someone else it was this this team the team i was working with or, or me uh in many cases so that was wearing that hat and kind of having that the what ownership really meant was like you're going to do a lot of things and some of them will not be in your wheelhouse but you know you recognize they need to get done and that you may just have to do them so I think that was that's been a learning and and was challenging up front and something I've tried to embrace. And the other thing is, so many you talked about the size of the companies. Some of our clients are don't have a ton of employees, but uh, a lot of the work I've worked on has been with large clients. So thankfully, I've had the past of working with very large companies. So I sort of get the silo, you know, the silos and 
know, know to ask questions to, to connect the dots and, and realize that sometimes people don't know how to navigate their own organizations and we can, we can be a, a voice of reason and, and help with that. So it, it has its advantages, but it doesn't, you'll be, we may be small, but our clients may be very, very large and you've got to go back and forth between those two contexts. So Josh, everybody we believe is a nerd somewhere yep. for, for something in their lives or some things. Um, for, for many of the folks who work at Method, there's a lot of things that we nerd out on. But where, where for you would you say that you are a nerd? Well, I think we have a different Slack channel for, for each thing you can nerd out on. Yeah. Uh, but there are, are a few missing. Uh, for me, um, I nerd out on like trip planning, especially if there's an amusement park involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, most that has to do with my kids are different heights and different ages. And so it's always, what's our available set of rides? Which ones are we prioritizing? What's the order? Uh, so there's a spreadsheet involved with the, usually anything that has an amusement park with it. Uh, and the other thing is um, anything around smoking meats or smoking cheeses or smoking a drink. Uh, I got a new toy over Christmas that allows me to smoke, a, like I do a smoked old fashioned, but I've got, various gadgets i'm some i know how to use some i'm just learning uh i made bacon over christmas uh i like to do big pieces of like a big boston butt or a, a long smoke on a brisket uh, I, i'm i'm from the kind of aaron franklin austin school of brisket making you you do all these steps and you wrap it at certain times and you spray it with apple juice and so it's complicated it's a big risk because it's a big expensive piece of meat and you get a lot of goodness if you if you pull it off and I've, I've ruined some, some really good looking meat, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but learned it to get better through that process. So I'm uh, curious, is it the, is it that you have an obsession with the, the like flavor palette that comes with smoke or is this just like a gateway drug to arsony? <laughs> <laughs> I, it's the flavor profile. Um, so a, a quick uh, story. So I grew up in Southern California and learned that the word barbecue was a uh, was a noun, uh, an event you went to, or or in some cases a verb, the way you grill. And then I moved to the East Coast and Mid Atlantic, and, and realized, oh, this is like a cultural element, not an event. Um, mm-hmm. and it is yeah. a it really is a noun, not a not a, a verb. It's it's a type of of um, cooking. That's a type of food, and that that. I didn't grow up with any vinegar, anything pulled. It was all scorched on a, on a, on a grill. And so peeling that and understanding that and get to know that has been, um, been a bit of an obsession and, and a lot of fun. I, um, so I'm, I am definitely an outsider, um, in the South. I just, I can't do the vinegar. The vinegar is just oh, not, really? no, it's just yeah. not my thing. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll eat it if it's there, but if I'm making it, there's no vinegar. Yeah. Yeah, it's all, it's specific cuts of meat cooked certain ways. It, it's not I'm not a vinegar on everything. I actually don't like vinegar in most other food. My favorite profile is probably that sort of tes- Texas long long cook with lots of smoke profile. So I like the little peppery. I like the meat to come through. I don't want to. I'm not a. In some cases I want a sauce on like ribs, but I don't want sauce that covers up the taste of it. I actually want to yeah. taste the what's underneath it. So. So you're doing the you're doing the like. You know, 18, 24 hour cooks sometimes on, yep. on these yep. things. This year got canceled because of COVID, obviously, but I typically will do a, what I call Porktoberfest every year, where we get about 
we get about a hundred pounds of, of meat and then we just cook through the night and then have a bunch of folks over and, um, it's a good time. So I'm, I'm familiar with the process. It comes with, uh, a lot of upside if you get it right. And a lot of frustration if you don't one right, <laughs> right. the other. The first time we did Porktoberfest, I'd never done this before. My dad did it growing up and, but I, I was too young to know how he yeah. did it. So I was just winging it. And we had about a hundred pounds of meat smoking on the, on the grill. I couldn't get the temperature to stay up cause it was just pouring down rain. Oh, and yeah. Uh, it was cold and like there was a crappy smoker. I couldn't keep the temperature regulated. So in this, at this point, it's like four in the morning and we yeah. got about eight rain. in the yeah. house. So I run in and steal my wife's hair, a hair dryer. And I just stick that thing right up against the coals and let it run for like a good hour to get the t- temperature to spike. But I never, I forget, I didn't tell her this. And so the next day, the next day she goes to do her hair and she's like, why does this smell like it came out of a campfire? And I started, <laughs> blowing campfire on my hair. Yeah. I mean, I could probably sell this as a feature, but that's not what I intended. Oh, she was so pissed. Cause she's, you know, she's getting ready for work. And now she's like, yeah. take another shower. Why do I smell like a campfire? I'm like, Oh yeah. Oh, I can't believe that works. I would never think well, that. It's funny. You said that, that specific example, one of the gadgets I started playing with over the, the end of your holiday was, um, a plug-in from the bottom of my my smoker, my uh, big green egg, that is exactly that. It's a variable fan, and it helps you maintain temperature by adding air to the uh, the coals and and bringing the temperature up. Yeah. Uh, so that's what you hacked is actually a product now, and um, and has a technical <laughs> about it. So who would have thought? I had a million dollar idea. Didn't even could know. have been you, Josh. <laughs> okay, so you got the 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 smoking. All, you like all things, all things smoky. I can't do the smoky drinks. It's just I, I struggle with that. I don't know what it is. It's but. a novelty for me. It's, I'm gonna drink a drink like that slow anyway. So I'm kind of like really dark, really good, really high gravity beer. It's a meal in a you know in a bottle, and so you gotta treat it as such. Enjoy it. You know, yeah. it's lingering. So yeah, you're not you're not guzzling down a porch powder. Yeah. <laughs> so Josh, what is um. What would be an interesting fact about you that maybe maybe folks around you wouldn't know? So I was a concert promoter for five years. I had the chance to go with a band that I was helping manage to Iceland to Sigaro Studio and record their album. We actually ended up in Bjork Studio. I think there's only two studios in Iceland, so you kind of had your pick of one of those. <laughs> but uh, it's been a week uh, recording and hanging out some with the band and. Uh, Reykjavik is a great town, but, but yeah, in Charlotte, a couple different clubs as a promoter and then eventually became part owner of a, of a club, um, in Charlotte. So yeah, I, I've got lots of love and history, in the live music biz and, and the bar biz. And, wow. and that was all in parallel while I was working full time on, on things that actually make money or not, not just packing projects. So, yeah. so this wasn't a full-time gig for you. No, no, this was. Uh, yeah, this is nights and weekends and this is run the door and, or run sound or, you know, whatever we, we need to do. But yeah, usually part of it was solo, but most of the time I had, I had other people I was doing it with. So nice. yeah, music hall, neighborhood theater, evening muse, a couple other, so, yeah, I did, did a show at the visual light, all venues in, in the Charlotte area. So, yeah. That's super cool. I grew up in Charlotte. So I'm like 
familiar with all of those things. I wonder <laughs> if I was ever at any of the shows. <laughs> that would be awesome. That's really cool. <laughs> so what what was the club that you were part owner of? Or or are you still? I don't know. No, no longer. Uh, neighborhood Theater, before I moved to, to um, California, uh, we stopped that. And we, the, this club got sold to another group, the ma- managing portion of it. But yeah, it was there. Um, everything from... You know, for them, probably the, the smallest shows on their list for like the County Crows to uh, up and coming bands or, you know, working on their, you know, first year in, in tours as opening gigs and the like. So, so yeah. when you were part owner of the Neighborhood Theater, which for the folks listening who aren't from Charlotte, Neighborhood Theater is a, is a venue one of my favorite venues in in Charlotte, just because it's a it's a really cool atmosphere. It's a and it was an old movie theater. The screen is actually still there. It still has velvet seats. You know, it's, yeah, that's all those pieces. So when you when you were involved with that, did, were you part of the group that started Neighborhood Theater, or or had it already been established as a concert venue, and then you? It, it, yeah, it, it, it had been started probably ten years prior. I think at one point it was it was a pretty in a pretty dodgy part of town and. Uh, X-rated theater when the owners that bought it and turned it into a theater, uh, turned it into a music venue first. So they had about ten years. We took it over from them and ran it for five, and then it since trade trade changed hands again. But yeah, really grew it. Uh, we we hit. I think we hit our occupancy of about a thousand is where they max out. So number of fun changes over those years, and took the the sound system up to a kind of an array based um, top shelf sound system. So it was yeah. So growth and lots of good shows so, and so w- would we know the the band that you were working with would we be familiar with them uh no no they they did not have commercial success uh band by the name of mar so um it's named after the lead singers um so well, sorry what was the name again mar m-a-r okay there's no way <laughs> i still have some <laughs> the merch i think in my back closet so <laughs> unsold so, hey there you go hey you know for the one person who's listening who might be a, a rabid fan of Mar, like here's your guy for all the all the lost merch. You never know. It's true. It's a it's a funny world. Here's one last one to, that we can kind of wrap up with. So Josh, as you've with your past experience coming into method and then you know your year you've been here for about a year now. Um what are what are you most optimistic about or most excited about? method and the work we're doing here what do you look forward to the most so i'm passionate about customer facing digital experiences and making those the kind of the best they can be um and i i think we as method really um embrace that same idea and that that desire for for creating um unique and special and and, and transformative experiences for um the end user, whoever that is in the, in the chain, um, because we have such a good design muscle, um, and research muscle and innovation muscle, I think because of those, those unique, the unique people we have here and, 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 uh, things we've built, uh, I'm excited about how we'll be, be able to, to influence more as we, we grow and, uh, we have a unique skill set to help, help improve products across the board. And that ends up being we're touching more people through what we're doing, which always gets me excited. Uh, I see the corollary at Apple. I could push out a new iOS release and touch half a billion to a billion people over the course of days. We're going to have 
uh, the ability to touch customer experiences at a scale we've never had before, which is is exciting and, and something to look forward to and, and something to quite frankly be excited about. So. Josh, thanks again for coming in and taking the time to sit with us. We really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you both. I need Josh. Love you guys. Thank you. If you need more method in your life, you can always follow us on social and we would love for you to join us for any of our monthly tech talks. Keep an eye out for those if you're interested. And until next time, don't forget to stay nerdy.